Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 27 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'm really excited to be picking the brain of Oren Barazilai. Oren was previously the co-founder of a company called Tapingo, a mobile food ordering app for the busy world. He is now the founder of Start a Fire, a revolutionary online tool that helps you grow and expand your audience by recommending your content within any link you share. His company has been featured in Forbes as one of 24 Israeli companies you should be following. Oren, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Hey Daniel, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. You know, <laughs> you sound like a paramaniac wanting to start fires. <laughs> what, <laughs> what were you like as a kid growing up? So I never had anything particular with fires, but okay, okay. Uh, I, will, I was always very, very technical. I started to, like, to dismantle my computer and writing software since I was like six or seven. Whoa, hold, hold on a second. Six years old, you were, you were dismantling computers? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Well, I, I, my, my, my six-year-old dismantles other things, but definitely not computers. My God. Yeah, <laughs> but it, 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 it was for a very specific purpose. It's not just for to, to take it apart. It was to, to take it apart and building it back again. Wow. If, if you remember, it was back in the late 80s. So hard drives just started to, be, to become popular, but we, we still had to, to use most of the time like floppy disks. To copy huh. to copy games between like me and my friends. So I remember it, the floppy disk. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't work very 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 properly. It didn't work very well. So, mm-hmm. so I, I started to to disassemble to disassemble my computer to take out of the hard drive when I went to France to copy games, and that's how I like I started to to fully understand how computer works. And later few, uh, later I started to to write my own software to to be able to play the games without you know because back then the games had some kind of protection that you can't copy them. Mm-hmm. So to overcome that protection, I started to 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 teach my, to teach myself how to write software, and it was before the internet, so I actually had to. <laughs> my goodness! I actually had to read books to do that. Uh, how old were you when you when you started writing the software? I think the the first software I was like seven, you, like a very what? A very, like a very a very very basic one. Uh, but I, I come on, seven years old? Yeah, it was. Are you are you a genius or something? I mean, what? no, I I I. I, I I really like I really like technical stuff and like and riddles and like um, anything like that which requires analytical skills. This something that I'm very passionate about. So wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that's how I started. Very very like few years later, like uh, when I was in junior high, I started to I I was both working in different companies and also. Hold on one I, second, you were working. At what age did you start working? When I was like in junior high, I think it was when I became like 13, I wanted to, I started working on like on a computer shop to fix it, computers and also add my own, my own thing of like fi- my own private service of like fixing computers oh for, pro- for private people in small companies. That's incredible. <clears throat> yeah, it was just the beginning back then and not a lot of people knew, knew how to do that. So once you, you had a very basic skill set, you could you can get very very good value out of it, like in the form of revenues. You know what's what's amazing though, <coughs> Sorry. Uh, Oren, is that most most 
most kids in junior high, I mean, most 13-year-olds are busy, you know, playing video games and taking selfies on Snapchat. I mean, what, what motivated you to, to, to want to earn money at such a young age? Did you, did you grow up in, was it, was it that you grew up in a home that, that wasn't, I, I don't want to get too, too personal, and you could tell me if I am, but was money tough when you were growing up? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. So first of all, when I grew up, we didn't have selfies, we didn't have cameras, because um, <laughs> you know, camera had like a film, and it took like a few weeks to develop. So, it, it was, <laughs> and and we never heard about about Snapchat or a mobile or anything like that. So right. we didn't have those distractions. So that, okay. that that's a good thing. And I don't know. I my father wasn't was and is still an, an entrepreneur, not in the high tech side, but he, he he built his own business. And my my mother was a teacher, so. Mm. We weren't like a very rich family, but we we were we were just fine. Like I I never I never missed anything. Uh, me and my brothers we like finance like we it, it wasn't an issue. But I just felt that I'm doing something I like, and I I I was willing to do it most of it for free. And then people started started offering money for that. So I started to 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 make it better and better and more efficient to optimize that. But I didn't start it for the purpose of making money. I started for one because I started like with a hobby of doing something I love, and it with time it translated to some kind of a work or a revenue source. You know what's amazing is I just last night I watched a documentary of Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. and what 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 amazes me about you know watching that documentary is that he never he also never did it for the money he wasn't interested in the money. In fact, when he when he started Apple and then uh, and then got kicked out. He was already a multimillionaire at that point. Yeah. But he didn't, that wasn't his drive. He didn't just decide, okay, well, I'll invest in property and then retire. No. He had a passion. He had a drive that was worth, well, it was priceless. And I think it's the same thing with, with, um, Mark Zuckerberg as well with Facebook. You know, his, his intention wasn't to become a billionaire. He just had this, this, this crazy drive to, to build and create and to generate and to, and to make a difference in the world. Uh, and, th- and that's what I see both of them had in common, but yet the money followed because when you, I think, and this is what, I, what, I, what I'm taking out of this for our listeners here, is that when you go after something that you're passionate about, when you spend time doing something that you're passionate about, the money will follow. I completely, completely agree. In, in most cases, that's the case. If you do something that you're passionate about, in most cases that you'll, you'll be very good at. Uh, again, I say like in most cases because... If you ever seen American Idol, you, you know it's not always the case. Some people are, are very passionate about singing, but they're not very good at that, and they will never make money out of that. So, and about 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 money and success, it it it, it never like comes in, like in one day. It like requires, requires a lot of hard work. Right, but you, right. You always need to measure yourself to make sure that you are in the right path. So you think you're doing something that you love and you're passionate about, but you have to make sure that you are not the only one that thinks that you are doing something properly or something well. Right. And in, in, in our age, in our, in our industry, in most cases, you need to make sure that other people are thinking that. And, and when I say thinking that, they need to prove that. And they can prove that either by paying you for doing that. It doesn't have to be profitable. It doesn't have to be like a lot, but they need to pay you to do that or need to, to invest their time. If they, they do one of the above, it's probably a very good sign that you are doing something properly, and if you'll go on and you'll do it good enough, um, mm-hmm. the money will follow. But yes, right. as you said, like 
probably money is not can't be the only uh the only purpose or the main purpose because otherwise you are just a banker maybe right mm-hmm. and then it's not it you shouldn't be in the in the business of uh of creating new products or creating new initiatives uh you should like being in the business of of providing services or optimizing stuff right right hundred and I think that if again if it's if it's something that you're passionate about you're you're able to take longer. to start seeing money because I feel like when people start a business only for the money then they're constantly waiting for the money to come in and usually within the first year two years three years they give up because you know the money's not there and, and most companies don't are not profitable the first couple of years and so it really needs something more than than just uh, you know wanting to make money t- for you to be able to have the patience to get through the first few years in business you know what I'm saying yeah I I, I think it's like it's In general it's correct but it really depends on the type of business that you that you are making right because if if you have an idea for for a new software that can change the way that I don't know that we buy TVs or we consume music okay yeah uh-huh. so you are correct it might take time you need to develop a new product you need to enter a new market you need to start mm-hmm. pro- th- those things take takes time but if you like to open a coffee shop right you need to make sure that once you open a coffee shop you have customers pr- probably from day one If that's right. not the case, you shouldn't wait for two years until... To, uh, until, until no, no, but, but, but Oren, I'm talking about profit. In other words, a, yeah. a coffee shop does not make profit in the first year, two years. I, I, I doubt it. Right? I, 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 I don't really know the coffee shop business. Probably you're <laughs> correct. But probably, probably they make revenues from day one. Unlike, mo- revenue, yes. unlike most software companies that spend, spend usually the first few months or a few years developing the product and experimenting with the product before even getting for the first customer. Uh, so yes, like it, it really depends on the type of business you're in, but in the, the type of, of building like a new product or a new software, something that gives like some kind of a learning curve of entering a new market and teaching the market and uh, um, educating the customers and educating yourself about what that market actually needs, these things take time. So what was your first business that you started? What was the first venture? So the first venture, as I, as I said before, was why I was really high is like, Supplying like a, a, a computer computer repair service okay so you weren't just working for someone at 13 you actually started your first business at yeah at I, I think I was like then I was 14 okay. uh, but yeah I, I started my own business of uh, providing uh, com- computer repair services and then <laughs> I evolved to providing like uh, networking and IT consulting services until I became 18 and left think to join the Israeli army mm-hmm. uh, after that after the army, Where I also served as a software developer, I had my first my first real real life like job as an employee, which lasted for three years and then I left to build my first company Pingo. Well, that's amazing that you first of all, that's amazing. Can I just say that you went to work for a company after you already had your own businesses? A lot of people who start their own businesses it's very hard for them to go and then work for another company. So I can completely completely relate to that. But what happened is that I was, I was after the army and I started my, to, to get my bachelor degree in mathematics. So at the same time, I went and get my first job. Why would you do that? Why would you go and get a degree in mathematics when you're a businessman, you, you know how to, how to fix computers at, at the age of seven? I mean, why do you need a degree in mathematics? What, what for? First of all, I, I think I always find it very, very interesting, mathematics. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go to university. wasn't sure why back looking back I think it was a very good idea because I learned a lot 
not only mathematics, but I learned how to how to to, to sit down for days and and learn by myself new things. Uh, I met a lot of great people, and I became very familiar with the academic world, which mm-hmm. today, which back then I really liked, but today I think it's um, it's obsolete. Wow. So you would say to someone now, if they were, you know, at the age of going to college, you would say, don't waste your time. No, I didn't say that. I didn't okay. say that. What you I said obsolete. No, I, I said obsolete. I, th- I think that the way that today they are teaching people are going to the academia or college and th- the way that you are learning how to do stuff is obsolete. We are learning the way that we are learning is the same for the last few hundred years and it doesn't make sense. Uh, right. In my humble opinion, okay. we should change that. I'm not sure how and to what it should be changed. I have your ideas of like things to, to do on the process. But what I, I would say that if you're going to college only for the, 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 the goal of learning some, a, a very, very specific skill, like how to become a programmer or how to, or to, to learn uh, physics or to learn like something like a very hard skill, not a soft skill. Okay. Yeah. So you're wasting your time. Because today okay. with YouTube and Ten, uh, Coursera and uh, Khan Academy, you can learn everything for free on the internet, right? Right. The thing with university is to actually, uh, a college is to meet new people and to get new ideas and to, to get exposed to new things that probably you wouldn't know, be, like we you couldn't get exposed or become familiar with without the university or the, academ- the, the, the academia. That's, if you're looking to do that, yes, uh, academia, you should go to, to the university. But It's very, very, very interesting. So you're saying that at the moment, that the, re- the main reason a person should choose to go to college, un- uh, university, is to is essentially for networking purposes. For a lot of purposes like it's, it's, it can be networking it can it can be expand your horizons to, to to meet new people to learn new things to learn to, to be familiar with new industries or verticals or uh, or or courses or anything that is not actually a very measurable skill that you should learn because those things you can learn by yourself over the internet for free and don't go right. to university for that it's, it's a waste of time but okay. all of the rest not necessarily networking, but all of the rest of. I, I thought back then that I'm that I'm very passionate about cryptography and security and stuff like that. And today I know it's not the case. Today I'm more passionate about behavioral economics and about how people behave and about what makes people do things or not do or, or not do things. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's today what is more interesting for me. And those things that I became familiar for the first time in university. Very cool. And then you started a company called Topingo. That's true, yes. That's, uh, okay. yeah. So, just, first of all, for the benefit of our listeners, what was Topingo and, and why did you start it? So, it was 2008, right after the, the, bub- the, the, bubble, the second bubble burst. 2008, yeah. How old were you then? Uh, back then, it was eight years ago. I was 24. So, you're 24 years old, okay. Yeah, um, I was 24 and... We started, me and two other co-founders started a Pingo because the mobile revolution was just started or just, yeah. or, or just starting. You and mean the app, the app? Uh, um, actually, revolution. before the app, our first version was for Nokia phones. So it was before the iPhone. Oh, so, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it was before the iPhones uh, and it was a bit too early. It, right. Almost, it almost killed the company, but eventually we prevailed. And we thought it doesn't make sense that people should wait in line when you know that when you know what you want to order you know where you want to get it from from and mm-hmm. you're just waiting in line to tell it to, to, to tell it to somebody that will put it inside a computer and then you will print it on, on the kitchen the guys on the kitchen are just waiting for 
the guy on the cashier to print it. Interesting. So you're so let's just get this clear. I'm standing in McDonald's and I know that I want a, a, a you know number three burger with fries and, and a Coke. Yeah. So rather than standing in a line, I, you're saying I can go onto this. It wasn't an app at the time. So how did I access? How, yeah. So how did it work? So it was an app. It was an app. It was an app. It was an on app a Nokia that, phone. On a Nokia phone that. The fact that you're not familiar with that, it just shows you how complicated it is to put an app on a Nokia phone. Oh my goodness. It was almost me. impossible. To, that enables you to, to see the, the coffee shops or restaurants around you that are partnering with Apingo and to order whatever you want. And once you order, you already pay for and, and it just transmits the order directly to the kitchen. And if you, two, like a couple of minutes later, you can come and pick it up without standing in line. So imagine, that, imagine that every morning, on the way to work, you, you'd like to, to grab a cup of coffee and a small sandwich from the coffee shop between your house mm-hmm. to, the, to the office. So yeah. with, with our app, you can just order everything a few minutes before you, you are there. Just pick it up without standing in line. And the same if you're going to, to college and, you, you do, and the class is about to end in five minutes and it's peak time in the cafeteria, but you can use our app to order a few minutes before and to have the, the entire break just to... To, to sit, sit down and relax and not standing in line. Right. So right. that was the concept of Tapingo. And today Tapingo is, after, I, I, was, I, I was the CTO and VPRND of Tapingo for about four and a half years before I left to build this company with my co-founder and childhood friend Oded. And today Tapingo is active in over 100 colleges in the U.S. Wow. Uh, as, yes, and it's growing rapidly. And it's a very, very good company with a very good team. But hold on a second. Now, Oren, you started the company and then you just left? When, when did you leave the company? I was part of the company for about four and a half years. So around 2011, you left? Uh, 2012. 2012, you left. Why, why would you leave such a, a successfully growing company? So actually, it was from many, many different reasons. We started a company in Israel and then we've learned that Israel is not the right place for the company. Our market is not in Israel, which is stuff that a lot of a lot of young entrepreneurs are doing the same mistake which if the your target market is the US and in mm-hmm. most cases your target your main target market is the US mm-hmm. you should avoid all other markets before uh, and approach there directly because all of all everything that you learn about how people behave how the customers behave how the businesses behave how the the unit of, unit, unit yeah. of economics works are behaving differently in different countries and you, you, you shouldn't uh, waste time in the wrong market, even though it seems easier. All right, but Oren, t- today you could easily get a virtual office. For example, I mean that's what I do. I I run a virtual office company. I have a virtual of- I have virtual offices in in New York, Wall Street. I've got in Beverly Hills, Singapore, London, Mayfair. I mean all over the world. I I have access to virtual offices, and all of my clients use my virtual offices so they can have a local presence. Mm-hmm. So why couldn't you have just Taken a virtual office in San Francisco, and boom! Now, now you. It, it, it's not about being a virtual office. It's about acquiring the first users, acquiring the first partners. It's if we're thinking about, we're taking the example of a university. How the users, how college students in Israel behave, isn't isn't the same for, for example, how college students behave in Santa Clara, California. Okay. Right. The challenges that you have working with a business in Israel are different than the challenges that you have in working with a business in the U.S. It's not about where you are. It's about what you're doing. And we did one of the, one of the largest, the most significant mistakes that we did is to start in Israel. 
we spent a lot of time and a lot of resources improving our, and validate our product and business in the Israeli market, which we did. But then to translate it to the, to the U.S. meant to start almost from scratch. So my, my take and what, I've learned, what I learned from that process is to focus on your actual target market from day one. Even if, you are, if your target market is the U.S., for example, you should, you should focus on the U.S. Even if you're, you're not there, even if you need, it means that you should mo- be moving there or working from remote from a virtual office, everything makes, makes sense. But don't waste your time on the wrong market. So did you get bought? Uh, were you bought out? No, 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 no. I, I was, uh, I, I, as I said, I, I found a company. I spent about four and a half years in the company. I was supposed to move to the U.S with the company oh. and my girlfriend at the time which is now my wife went, went to wait for a few months for a few more months to when well, until she'll finish her master's degree and mm-hmm. i was already four and a half years in the same company we had a lot of up and downs and my co-founder today which is a dad which is a childhood friend of mine was finishing his uh, mba and we started to discuss about doing something together we didn't know what we want to do back then but we we, we knew that we want, we want to work together so I decided to leave my current ventures, my current venture, was, which, was, which was the Pingo, and to, um, to, to start a new one with Odette. But Oren, you just walked away from, from a business that you built up for no, three, four no, years. No, 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 no. It, 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 when I walked away, it, was, uh, it wasn't a big company, but it was an independent company. I wasn't the CEO. The company had over 40 employees. I was uh, the CTO and shareholder. But I had the time to find somebody to replace me, to train him. Uh-huh. And uh, when I left, my, the entire process for me leaving was almost a year. Of but you kept shares in the company, Yes, of course, of course. Oh, okay, fine. I'm, so there I'm, is, still a, I'm, still, I'm still a very big believer in Tepingo. I think it's a great company. They have a great team. They have a great market. And they're going to do great. Okay, and, and obviously you, but you kept your shares, so obviously that's, uh, you, still, you still have a part of that, of that company. Correct. And can, so then you started a company called Starter Fire. Can you explain to our listeners what exactly is Starter Fire? And, and, and again, why did you start that, com- that business? Yeah, so when I start a business, usually I think the first question that I ask myself is why now? Because usually when you, people have a, a, lo- a lot of good ideas and you should ask yourself if it's such a good idea, probably you aren't the, first, the smartest person in the world, so how come nobody did it before? Right. So you should find a very good, in most cases, it's not always, but you should, you find, you should find a good reason about why now, why nobody did, did it before. In the case of Start of Fire, what we are doing is we enable those who share content, those who share and discover great content to get the full value from the content they share. And we've noticed that in the past couple of years, more or less, social traffic, meaning the traffic that comes from social media, became more and more significant. If about two or three years ago, it was more or less 0% of, uh, of the traffic of an average publisher, today yep. it's around 40%. Wow. Okay? Yes. Wow. So if you're a publisher today, let's say, I don't know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, any publisher out there. You're saying 40% of traffic to the New York Times uh, website is social? So I, 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 I'm not familiar with, uh, with the exact numbers of the New York Times. But right, but on average, on you're average saying it's forty percent. Yes, in, in, in sometimes it's twenty percent. Uh, right. On in other cases, it's seventy percent. But on, amazing. On general, it's like let's say thirty-five to forty percent. Just to wow. j- just just for you to understand, Google is about thirty thirty-five percent. Sorry, search in general. Search, yeah. yeah so right. it's now it's even bigger than. So search. you're you're saying uh, at the moment, really, we're at a point where 
search is being taken over by, by social. I, I think it's a different form of traffic. I, I think it's not about search. It, it, it's about the direct traffic is, is uh, disappearing. Search is still strong. Mm-hmm. So it's not instead of search. If you're asking yourself, it's a zero-sum game. So if I'm coming from Facebook or from Twitter, uh, yeah. like it's in, on, on the expense of something else. So it's in most cases, it's in the expense of direct traffic. If you used to, mm-hmm. to wake up every morning and open CNN.com or, uh, I don't know, uh, NewYorkTimes.com and then consume your content, today you open Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or other social yeah. media, and then you see what your friends share and you start from there. Very good. Uh, interesting. Okay. Very, very well uh, said. So it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's instead of that. And so what does Startafire do then to help that? So, so we, th- we, we think that if publishers get most of their value from people who share content and people or an organization, brands, influencers who share content and generate huge amounts of traffic to publishers and are getting zero value in return, it doesn't make sense. If you have a million followers and you just shared this great article in, um, Forbes. in Forbes and you actually told over a million people, leave my Facebook account and go, <laughs> read this, go read this article. Not only that, some of those million people will reshare that content with their followers. So you actually told your followers and some of your followers' followers and so on. Mm, there's a chain reaction, right. To, to consume that content. And you got zero value out of that. Not, and, right. And from the publisher side, they want to make sure that you have a very strong incentive to share more and more. So our goal as a company to make sure that when you share great, when you discover and share great content and you generate great amount of value for the publishers, you get something in return. Our, the first main feature that we've released so far is the ability to recommend your own content on top of the, of the links you share. So for example, if you have a blog and you like about businesses, about how to start a business and about how to maintain your business. And you have a lot of blog posts about that and your followers follow you because of that. But you, in most cases, you don't have enough content to, to share 20 times a day, your own unique content. So you start creating content and to share content from Forbes, Fortune or, or other um, news websites or blogs. Right. And Mashable, right. Mashable, the other. Exactly. And whenever you do that, you just tell your followers, leave my page and go read that content. And they're gone, right? And they're gone. And you, you, you don't do that a lot because you want to make sure that you, you share most of your content, which is not, right. isn't the best thing for you. It isn't the best thing for your followers, of course, and for sure not for the publishers. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that if you find some a great content to share, you will share it for sure because you'll get something in return. And that return is the ability to, to recommend your own content on, mm. within the, the content you share and to reach new audiences, because when your followers will reshare that content, their followers' followers and so on will also see the badge that's shared by Daniel or shared by X. So, right, right. So just to make it very clear to the people listening here, let, I, 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 let's say, for example, I have a product, a virtual office that I want, uh, when, when I'm sharing my content, I want people to sign up for a virtual office, as an example. Mm-hmm. So I see a great article about startups on uh, Mashable, mm-hmm. right, or, or Forbes. And instead of just sharing that and then them just going to the website and they're gone, I would have like a, a box that would pop up. Is that how it would work? They would click on the link. Yeah. So it's a, it, there would be a it's a small box at the, at the bottom right corner of the screen that, okay. that first of all, sh- sh- says shared by Daniel or by the virtual office company. Okay. It depends on how you define it. And then within the box, you can recommend the users 
what to do. But there, those recommendations shouldn't be signed up to my service because that's an ad. What, uh-huh. what we do is recommending content, content from your blog. In your blog, you can, you can describe your service and how people, other people are using it, so they, will, they, they might sign up. But from pro- What about collecting email addresses? Could you offer a free ebook yeah. and with, with a sign-up? You can have like an email sign-up. Yes, as long as, as, long as we, we, we want to make sure that it doesn't feel like an ad and that yeah. it's something that generates value for the consumer. Because if, if you're, you're abusing the system and uh, the end users will see something that feel like an ad or feel too intrusive, they'll start ignoring that and everybody will lose. You, mm. the, the other consumers and the, and, and the publishers and of course us. So we want to make sure that the things that appear inside a box are stuff that provide value both for those who share, both for the publishers, and both for me as a consumer, that I'll, fi- I'll find it as an interesting content or, opportunity or, an, or another opportunity to find somebody else I, can, I should fo- be following and to, to, to get more great content in the future. Right. So for a good example would be, let's say, I see a, a news article about a dog that was able to dance. I don't know. I'm just making it up yeah. in, my, in my head right now, right? And I want to share that. And it also happens to be that I sell, you know, dog accessories, mm-hmm. accessories for dogs. So I would share that article, but in the, in the box using Starter Fire, it would say something like 10 tricks to teach your dog. Uh, go click here or something like that. So it would all be very relevant because they're going to a website that's, that's talking about a dog that danced on his feet and they've got this box at the bottom recommending them to see these 10 tricks that you could teach exactly. your dog. Exactly. And, okay. and in most cases, the people that read about the, the dog that dance would like to teach their, their own dog to do something. So they will go to consume that content. Exactly. Right. So this is very similar to a service that I stumbled upon recently called snip.ly. What, 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 what makes Startify better than that? How do you differentiate yourself with that company? Um, so I'm familiar with snip.ly, but not very, very well. I've seen that product. So we, we have two main factors that differentiate us. The first one is that we, to, to add, an, to add a, to a pop-up or a, or a layer, or, or what we call our badge on top of an existing website, it re- requires you to have some kind of an access to the website or to have an iframe, which is not a very good solution because then you, you, you can't track it properly. And then uh-huh. people on the page, the, your brand sticks, you want to do that, and it's not, it's supporting, let's say, something like 60 to 70 percent of the web. So iframe is not a very good solution, and that's what they are doing and other companies in the industry are also doing. Okay, so, so what, what are you doing? What, what we are doing, we have a very unique technology that we developed for the past couple of years that actually, if we're going a bit technical, it's a reverse proxy that manipulates the website in, in real time. And the benefits, and the benefits of, the benefit of the technology is that the end result is a website that behaves exactly as the original website with our full control that the badge will be, will appear only on the article you shared and not on the entire website, uh, that we can collect the proper analytics without violating privacy or collecting, mm-hmm. uh, pr- uh, private data. And the URL at the top r- uh, remains almost in the same structure and it supports 100% of the website. So, so that's the first thing that differentiates differentiate us from a, a product perspective. Sorry, I would, okay. from, from a technical perspective. Right. From, from a product perspective, the other companies that I'm familiar with on that industry are about telling you, put your call to action or like inside a website. I can, you can put like a large box 
like that yeah. covers half of the screen inside the website <laughs> and like do something like click here to buy the new tool or, or buy this now or click here now uh, yeah. and we feel that it's not in the best benefit of the consumer of course the the the, the one that's consuming the content it's not in, in it's not in the be- best benefit of the publisher of course because you're covering most of their content uh, yeah. and it, so and it's only in the in theory i don't think it, don't think it's even true but people think that it may think that it's in, it's only in the benefit of the those who share but it's not even the case because if they share crappy content with pop-ups that reduce the, the experience People won't follow them and won't consume their content, so it's right. no, nobody can benefit out of that. that that's right. that's what we believe. Okay. How, how does someone start using the Starter Fire? I mean, th- th- is it an app that sits on the computer? How does it work exactly? So it, what no, someone else do? So you just need to sign up at startafire.com. Startafire.com. And once you sign up and you set up your account, you, which usually take less than a couple of minutes, that's it. From that point on, every time that you share a link. You just need to put it inside our platform. You can do that manually. You can use our Chrome extension or one of the integrations for our various partners, such as MailChimp, Buffer, HubSpot, and many, many more to get an automated experience. And from that point on, everything you share will automatically get your badge with your own content recommendations. That's another thing that we put a lot of emphasis on. You can't customize the badge behind a certain point, so it will never be intrusive, it will never cover the screen, uh, it will mm. always be very, very friendly, and, it, and, and the, the experience should be automatic. So you, sh- you don't need to define each time that you share what content we like to recommend and stuff like that. Once you do that once, our system automatically manages everything for you. So, and this is free? This is a free service that, any, that people can use? So we have a free tier, with a free tier, and we have a, a premium tier for large enterprises that requires a very, very specific feature set. But most of the, but if you're a small company, you're a blogger, a journalist, or an individual, a free tier is more than enough for your requirements. So it's free, it's free forever. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And, and you managed to raise almost $4 million. Is that right? $4 million in funding uh, so a, far? Uh, a bit less, about 3.5. Three points, not bad. Three point five million dollars. First of all, how did you manage to raise the money? And secondly, why do you need it? So, to answer the first question, you there are professional investors, angels, and VCs that that's what they do. You need to approach them. You need to know who to approach and when to approach and what to present them to um, to, to raise money. So, I I don't want to make this conversation about how I think people should raise money and why, but very shortly, we approached professional investors. That's what, they, what, that's what they do. They invest in startups and high-tech companies, and mm-hmm. that's whom we've raised money from. And why? It's because to, we develop a technology. And to develop a new technology, it's usually very expensive, both to develop a new thing and then to educate the market and to build a proper product. Those things take time. And in order to make sure that you can do it properly, and provide the best value for all of our partners, which are the publishers, the content owners, the users who consume the content, and those who share the content. We need to make sure that our product is very, very simple, very, very seamless, and uh, straightforward. And those right. things take time. So in order to do that properly, we, we needed to raise money. We just raised the, the last two, two and a half million about a couple of months ago. Wow. So, um, we, uh, the past couple of years since we started cost about $1 million, and now we just raised 2.5, and uh, that will enable us to make, hopefully, 
to make it a scalable product and have tens of thousands of customers in the very near future. I mean, at the moment, Starter Fire is literally on fire. It's been growing super fast. What would you say are the main factors for such incredible growth? So, yeah, we, have a, we are experiencing a very, very rapid growth in the past few months. And I, Have you been marketing? Has the money that you've been funded go, gone to marketing at all? Yes, but only in the past couple of months. Okay. okay. And before that, there was no marketing. So, yeah, before that, there was no marketing. In most cases, it really depends on the product. Okay, it really depends on the product because sometimes you can have a very uh, the best product, amazing product in the, on the market. But in, in, from the nature of that product, if people don't want don't know about that, they will never use it. For, for, so, for example, you just built a, ver- a new hard drive which is super super fast. So if mm. if if I sold it to you and you're using it and you love it, so still no, no no one else will know that about this great product. The great fortune is that we start a fire when it's growing fast other people see are seeing that other people are using it. And that adds to our growth engine because once we have like 10 companies using Start of Fire, their followers are also seeing Start of Fire. Right. They see the badge and they're like, what the what's, that? what's that? Right. I'll check it out. And huh. from that point, we are getting more users and more users. So when we, start, when we started to grow, it, uh, it became faster and faster and faster because when you get, we get more users, we get more exposure, and we get more exposure, we get more users, and so on. So the, uh, thanks to the nature of our product, so far we are growing very, very fast. Right. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who have a great idea, but they don't know where to start. What would you say is the best way for them to start their fire? So I would provide two types of advice, okay? First of all, if you have an idea and you're confident about that, that that's what you like to do, quit everything else that you can and just do that, okay? Don't do that like after work for, for, for a couple of hours a week or, wow. or during the it's weekends because interesting. It, it will never work, okay? That's, that's my take. The second thing which is very, very important is, which I usually don't get, is people have a greater idea, I think that, that's what they think at least, and they, they, they won't share it with anyone. Like it's a secret. You, you, should, <laughs> right. you should sign an, an NDA. No, those who, the company who did great or, or did very, very, very well, it's not easy because of a great idea. Great idea is probably like I most about everything. You're just breaking up there, Oren, for a second. Sorry. Yeah. But you're saying that it's not because of it's not because of a great idea that the company has done well. What has yeah. it got to do with? With execution. Say that again. Sorry, you're just breaking up. I'm sorry. Uh, execution. Execution. Execute okay. pro- yeah, execute properly and having a great team. And to do both things, you have to. You have to. So ex- just to just to repeat, because I, I don't know if my listeners got that. It's about getting about the right execution and having a great team. Exactly. And to get both, you have to show what to to, to speak with as many people as we can as as you can about your idea to learn from them, to meet other people that relate to that, to recruit them, to join them partner with them and to execute as best as you can. If you'll just keep the great idea to yourself, no one will know about that. And in 99% of the time, your business will fail. Mm. That's my thing. Right. Right. And you know what I love about the name Start a Fire is that fire is the only thing that you'll never lose by passing it on. In other words, if I have a flame and I give and I and I share my flame with with you Oren, you take a candle and you take my flame, part of my flame. I don't my flame doesn't get any less, but you still have 
a flame. And if we keep doing that, hundreds, thousands, millions of people, we all have our flame and we're never losing by sharing it with other people. Was that part of the reason why you called it Start a Fire? Honestly, no. But but now when you say that, I I wish I I could could think about it before. Wait, it's never too late. Now, just before we... uh, just before we end, I always like to, to give a little bit of practical tools to share with our listeners. So besides the Startafire, which obviously I recommend everybody listening to this to go on to Startafire.com. There's going to be a link in my show notes where you can click on the link and you could, I think you can even sign up with Twitter. So it's very, very simple. But besides the Startafire, what other online tools would you recommend for our listeners? So first of all, I'm a big fan of pure email. I'm using a lot of Gmail. The entire Google suite for uh, Google Apps, for Google Docs and everything. So that's probably very common. Everybody is using it, using that. If you have a website that interacts with customers, I would really recommend on Intercom. It's a great service for marketing automation. We just started using it recently, and I can highly recommend that. Intercom. Intercom, yeah. Besides that, to track your users and learn from their behavior and to, to be able to optimize your product mix panel. Mix panel, okay. Yeah. That's so I'm gonna link I'm gonna I'm gonna link those again, I'm gonna link those in the show notes. So if you wanna go there, just click on the link. Oren, what's the best way my listeners can get in touch with you? It's very, very simple. They can ping me on Twitter, it's at Oren Barzilai, or they can send me an email at Oren at startafire.com. It's O R E N at startafire.com. Brilliant. Oren, you are a huge inspiration. It's really been great getting to know you better. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.